That's a toe tapper, isn't it? Good morning, West Falls. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm fine, thank you. I'm just glad to be here this morning. I, I thought I almost spent the night in jail. I, I'm not sure how much I'm kidding. I um, was here late last night, and uh, every once in a while, when uh, I start losing losing my weekly grudge match against Microsoft PowerPoint. I get up and I, uh, I like to take a walk, and I like to walk through the building. Sometimes I'll come in here and pray a little bit um, the night before you all come, pray for you, actually. So I came over like I usually did. It was really cold last night, so I ducked into the youth building, you know, so I could get warmer quicker from the office building. Well, apparently the alarm codes are different in the youth building than in this building. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for all the pastors, whoever's on the list that got calls last night. What, it was about 1.30? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm a, I'm a preacher over here. <laughs> so you know, I get in there and punch in my code, and it doesn't work. And so you know what happens next. So I go back over to the office building because I figure the security company's going to call. And I open the door. The phone's ringing off the hook. So I pick it. You know, hello. Yeah, this is such and such security. And, and who's this? And I said. Um, uh, this is Pastor Todd Lanting at West Falls Community Church. I'm sorry I tripped off the alarm in the youth building. I think they must have changed the code. Why would they ever tell me? <laughs> and he said, well, that's all right. What's the password? And you know, I'm sitting there scrambling, thinking Dave Beatty is probably the one responsible for the password. And so even as, as I knew it was coming, he's then I'm coming over. I don't know what the password is. What is the password? They always want the password. And so I'm thinking, I don't know, a good Dave Beatty password. So I said confidently, Jesus saves. <laughs> and he said, thank you, Pastor. Click. And I went... I wonder if that was it. <laughs> so I went back and sat down. It wasn't it. Um, I don't know, 10 minutes later. It got to be 10, 12, 15 minutes. And I started thinking, you know, if I guess that thing right, I'm going to talk about that for the rest of my life, that I got that right. Uh, and then also I see flashlights outside. So I go out there, and um, I, there's three deputies, and they're like under, two of them at least are like under the school vans or the school vans, the church vans, like with their flashlights. And so I, they don't see me coming. It's dark. So I'm like, I'm trying to make noise, but they're talking, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So I said, Ahem. I kind of clear my throat, and all of a sudden those, three of those big flashlights, boom, right in my face, right? You can't see anything. I said, hi, I'm Todd. I set off the code. So I, anyway, they're... They were very polite, and um, I apologized profusely, and they were very nice and said, well, actually, we're glad, you know, that it's nothing. And so I think it's only the fourth time I've done that in two years, so I better stop. <laughs> um, anyway, I am um, I'm glad to be here uh, this morning and not spending the night in jail. Please, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. No, not Acts 8, 2 Corinthians Hey, yeah, that's all right. We can take a look at another part of God's Word. You'll likely have to, you'll have to recrease your Bibles, right? As by now, I'm sure they're just opening, falling open to the book of Acts. 
A, um, a dear friend said to me after the service last week that she's going to miss telling people when they ask, what are you studying at church? It's kind of fun to, well, we're in the book of Acts. It's kind of fun to say that, isn't it? And um, I was thinking on that this past week, and, uh, you know, given Acts' message, I was thinking, and the challenge of bringing the kingdom of God, good news of Jesus to the world, you know, we haven't really left Acts. And um, on that note, at least, we'll stay in Acts for as long as we live to bring to the powers that be the message, the witness of love that Jesus is Lord. Amen? And even as now we turn to one of Paul's letters to the church in Corinth, I hope you begin to experience and to see. I mean, remember, Paul wrote this letter at some point during the story of the book of Acts, probably during the third missionary journey in Acts 19 through 21. And so it's really cool to go now to one of Paul's letters armed with that bigger picture of Paul's life and ministry and growth of the early church. That really forms the context for Paul's letters, including 2 Corinthians. In fact, as you read through your New Testament, going forward for years to come, I hope, and in particular Paul's and Peter's letters, and go ahead and throw in the books of Hebrews and James, really everything but John's letters, including Revelation, that were best gifts written long after Acts, But given our time in Acts, you'll find yourself making connections between Acts and the people we got to know there and much of the New Testament. So we really can't escape Acts. (laughs) I'm really delighted to tell you that this morning. We're still in Acts, just peering through different windows, a different window this morning at that same thundering biblical theme of bringing the kingdom of God, bringing Jesus is Lord to the world. On this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I would like to, as Craig said, share a few things about stewardship and tithing and giving. Now, poll any group of preachers and uh, ask them, ask them what they least want to talk about, and their answer will always include somewhere near the top of the list, money. That's always been interesting to me because of any single topic you add up the parables, if you add up what we have of Jesus' teaching, of any single topic, did you know Jesus talks about money the most? And so when we talk about money, you know, preachers usually hide behind it with words like stewardship and tithing and gifting. So if you ever see that, can't imagine them, but if you ever see that, you'll know your pastor maybe is a bit nervous about the topic of money. Especially these days, right? When the topic of money is such a tense topic for everyone. And uh, see, the thing about money is it is a serious topic. I mean, it's really no laughing matter. God's Word takes this topic very, very seriously. God just lays it out there on the line with us. He's very direct with us about money. And so one thing that uh, nervous pastors sometimes do is they find a video or someone else to handle the tense, serious stuff. You know, so in case you're offended, you get mad at the the screen and and not at the pastor. Isn't that clever of us? So, I, uh, I found something. I found something to show you that does, at least introduces and lays the groundwork, all of this 
serious, heavy work when it comes to the topic of money. So take a deep breath. Um, everybody inhale. Let's see it. Exhale. Go ahead. All right. Let's watch. Hello, Christopher. Trouble? It's the end of your giving at West Bowles. A man named George Bailey doesn't want to give to the church. Oh, these humans. Don't they know they don't own a thing? That God owns it all? When will they learn? Most of them have the IQ of a Red Wings fan. I think we should send someone down. All right, if you think it will help. How bad is it? Just watch. You'll see. Hello? Oh, hello, Pastor Todd. Yes, I do know it's time for a year-end gift. Well, no, George and I haven't prayed about it, but I know we will by the end of December. Who is that? Is that the pastor? Let me talk to him. Oh, Pastor Todd, what's the idea of calling here at night? Shouldn't you be writing a sermon or something? And, oh, oh, no, no, don't you have something better to do George, than call no, us here at night and ask for money? Oh, George, no, stop it. No, I'm serious. I'm tired of you people. George, well, let me be here. Now, listen. Quit calling George, here. Quit That's it. all I George, have to say. Quit, it. quit calling here for give, money. Give me the phone, don't even George. think about going back to the book George, of Acts. George, knock no, it off. Stupid Red what Wings fan. or something. Hello, Pastor? Hello? I'm on apologize. Hello? Oh, why do we have to... Tithe anyway. All the church ever asked for is our money. Why can't we be Hindus or Buddhists? All they have to do is sell flowers at the airport and they're done with it. George, what's wrong? Well, what is it wrong? I barely make enough to get by. The church asked for our money. Daddy, why are we Christians? I don't know. Ask your mother. Well, Bob Fugler, you tithe, right? Yeah, I do tithe. Tell me why. Why do you tithe, Bob Fugler? Well, it's just what God requires, so I try to tithe. Well, now, now here's, why would God give me money? And then he told me to give it right back oh, to him. Oh, I know, it's, it, it's what oh. God says to do, and I try to be thankful. No, 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 give me a reason. you got to tell me why I, I should tithe. I, I, I can't talk to you anymore, George. You, you've been here for hours. No, you got to give me a reason, you silly, stupid old fool. No. Whoa, 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 why should I do it now? I've got money. If I have to tithe, you've got to tell me why. I, I was... Oh, I wanted an entertainment center for Christmas, a plasma screen, but I'm not going to get one now because I have to give money to the church. Stupid cat, get out of here. <laughs> yep, he's bad off, all right. I was thinking, we could show him what life would be like if no one ever gave money to the church. A world without West Bowles? Without tithing? That's the idea. What do you think? I like it. Let's do it. Show George Bailey what Littleton would be like if no one ever tithed their money to West Bowles. Oh, Bill, thank goodness you're here. Take me to the church right now. <laughs> what? You know, the uh, the church up on Bowles Avenue. You know where it is. Come on, let's all go. All right, all right. Wait, what church on Bowles Avenue? What Bowles Church? Oh, all right, fine, fine. I'm sorry, George, there's no church. People stopped giving, so they sold it to the mortuary company. Why? Well, yeah. See, without sacrificial giving... Look, oh. they, did, they didn't need my money. They, they had enough without money. I, no, I, the money's not no, for look, them. I'm not going to do it, Clarence. I'm not going to. Why don't you just I, go pray? Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Go pray somewhere. Oh. 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 
there's got to be an easier way to get these people to give. God. God. Take me back to my wife and kids. Dear God, please. Please. I want to give again. Littleton! Hooray! It's not too late. We still have time to bring a year-end gift to the church. We haven't missed it. Hooray! I'm going to go give right now, everybody. Where's my checkbook? George! Oh, George! Oh, Mary. Oh, Mary, George. I miss you so much. I came George. back. George. Mary, we're, we're, we're going to tithe. Oh, we're going to tithe, Mary. We're, going, we're really going to tithe. We're going to do it right now. Yeah. Oh, oh, I love you so much. George, come down. Oh, all right. Come on, Susan. Come on, George. Oh, George. See, look. This is how much money I'm giving as my year-end gift. I was only going to give 10%, but Mary told me about the sale on Depends. It was her idea, and I went and bought a whole bunch for the whole year, $4.98 at Walmart. I can't believe it. Depends on sale at Christmas. Dan's happy. My kids are happy. Everyone's happy. Look, Daddy. Preacher says every time a bell rings, a church makes their budget. That's right. That's right. I'll obey God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. <laughs> the um the talents of John Burns and Chris Sage, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my goodness. So much for the serious topic of money. I set you up for that one. Sorry. Not really. Um, I've got one question, Bob. Um, what on earth did you ever do to John and Chris? I... I saw the video for the first time. I told John, you better start sleeping with your eye, one eye open. This guy's from New York. You don't mess with him. He knows people. So I, Actually, I know, I, I know no one laughed more than Bob this morning, except maybe his wife. I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm not really nervous or hesitant uh, talking with you about money this morning at all. Uh, in fact, it's a favorite biblical topic of mine. Uh, yeah, it's a topic that's challenging, and it's even frustrating uh, to take on. But, um, you know, challenging and, and frustrating things, those are things that often help us the most to learn and, and to grow. So I asked John if he could find something to lighten the mood and we could laugh a little about money and... So with James Stewart and Donna Greed, right, in mind, let's, uh, let's see what God has to say about money, shall we? Your Bibles are open to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, one of my favorite passages on money and uh, also just in general from Paul. Um, here's Paul at his absolute finest, in my opinion, a real treat for me to study this passage the last couple of weeks. I hope it will be for you too. 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, 
their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also a complete, to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and your love for us, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. It's not a competitive test, that biblical word test, when we hear it in English, whether we're still students or not, we go, oh, you know, I'm being tested and graded. A test is also an opportunity to show and more in context, Paul wants an opportunity to feel and experience, and for them to be able to feel and experience, to test the sincerity of, of uh, their love. Verse 9, For you know <coughs> excuse me, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he doesn't have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. And then there will be equality as it is written, He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. From the Exodus quail and manna story, Paul quotes. This is the very Word of God. Amen? Amen. Three things I'd like to focus on this morning from this passage as we talk about giving. What Paul calls in verse 2, rich generosity. We need to talk about grace, desire, and this interesting thing called tithing. Here's your three-point sermon this morning, grace, desire, and tithing. First, grace. Paul uses the word grace four times in the first nine verses of chapter 8. You see them up there on the screen. And he uses them twice more in chapter 9. Chapters 8 and 9 are companion chapters. They go together. Why this emphasis on grace? Well, Paul's, Paul's on a grace roll because grace plays a key role. Grace plays a key role in the rich generosity that Paul describes and encourages. How so? How, how does Paul connect the dots or the dot from grace to giving? 
At first glance, at first read, it might seem only that Paul is saying, okay, God gives you the gift of being gracious to each other. You know, here you go. You're gracious. So, so give. And I'm sure that goes on because we have nothing that doesn't come from God. But, but the key to Paul's emphasis on grace here is deeper than that. We see it especially in verse 9 where, where Paul talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because for Paul, that grace specifically, foundationally, is the true source of any rich generosity that he's talking about in verse 2. I mean, you all know the story, most of you, I think, right? God made the world and the universe perfect. Sin entered in. And the perfect unity between God and Adam and Eve and humanity was ruined. And I picture that day in heaven, maybe even before God walked down into the garden to find those first man and woman hiding in the bushes, I picture maybe God in heaven sitting dejectedly on His throne and maybe weeping over what had just been lost. And maybe saying in the throne room of God something like, now what? They're hopelessly lost. I can't be with them intimately anymore because of who I am in terms of justice and perfection and and set apart and and holiness, and I so badly want to be with them, then maybe from the back corner in a humble spot, I'm sure, in the throne room of God, there's a voice. And the voice says, Dad, I'll do it. Only I don't know that it was like that. Maybe. Probably more something like, Dad! Let me! Pick me! Let me do it! Let me go and get them! You know how much we love them! I'll do it! Let me rescue them! Let me save them! Pick me! Pick me! Pick me! And Jesus comes down and swoops into history. And picks us all that choose Him. And scoops us up and holds us close. Because without that happening, folks, we have no hope. None. We're dead. Dead in the water. I think what Paul is reaching here for with the Corinthian Christians, is for them to remember God's grace in Christ Jesus. And so too with us. To, to experience again anew, let, let, let it wash over us that the full force of God's love for us over our hopelessness poured out in the blood of His only Son. To remember our first real love. To remember the One who loved us first. It's so easy Even for the Corinthian church after a few years, how much easier for us once we've been Christian for how many years? It's so easy sometimes, isn't it? To forget. To forget how utterly hopeless it all is absent God's grace. And to confuse our 
being made in the image of God and the self-esteem that comes with that and the pride that comes with being chosen by God to confuse that with, with self-pride and to forget how much it means and how much it meant that He did what He did. Can we humble ourselves and let that gift undo us? Out of that kind of grace flows our desire to give. Listen to Paul's emphasis on the desire to give that flows from God's grace. Overflowing joy in verse 2 and verses 3 and 4. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, the privilege of sharing in this service of the saints. They gave themselves in verse 5. Their giving was in earnestness in verse 7. They had the desire to give in verse 10. And in verses 11 and 12, there's an eager willingness to give. See, a full appreciation and experience of God's grace to us wells up an eager willingness to give. We're struck by the enormity of what Jesus did for us simply because He loves us. God's grace and that infinite magnitude of what we've received. We just can't stand it. We can't even believe once we get over ourselves with God's help. We can't even believe that He'd do that for us. And we want to share because we know, we know, we know how it feels that someone shared so profoundly with us. And we can't wait to give it all away. Do we desire today do we desire today that badly to give church of God do we and if we don't or when we don't is part of the reason at least maybe because we've grown distant or numb to how awesome is the grace of God in taking the life of his only son instead of ours Grace and desire go hand in hand. Last, how much money do we give? Here we get to the issue of tithing. At first, I was going to spend the entire sermon on the theology of tithing, but I ran that idea by Jill early in the week, and she sort of made a face. So you only get one paragraph on tithing. You can thank her for that following the service this morning. You should know. You should know that there is a difference of opinion on tithing within the global church. Some feel that a straight, literal 10% is still God's norm for the church today. Other brothers and sisters in Christ feel that literal of an application of tithing no longer applies this side of the cross, especially among Gentile Christians at least, and that instead of tithing, the New Testament guiding principle of how much to give is to give sacrificially. And some combination of both are out there too. 2 Corinthians 8 is one of those places where that latter principle of sacrificial giving feels it finds support. In verse 3, Paul's exemplary givers gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. In verse 11, Paul talks about giving according to your means. And in verse 12, according to what one has. And And Paul is careful to point out that his entire focus on giving here is not a command in verse 8. 
But instead is Paul's advice in verse 10. Something Paul desires in verse 13. Now, some have suggested Paul is talking about the net amount here and not necessarily the percentage. And you perhaps begin to see why there's a debate among fellow brothers, sisters in Christ on tithing. I was curious uh, this week, so I did a little math. I, um, I looked up the average income in this general area of Littleton, divided by 10, and multiplied that by the number of households represented in our church, trying, trying to keep my numbers as conservative as possible. And I discovered that if every household here tithes straight 10% to our church, our budget would double or even triple. Wow, the, the power of 10%. Considering this passage this morning, at least, I'm not going to tell you this morning that God commands you to give 10%. I will encourage you, like Paul did, to give sacrificially. To give all you can, since that's Paul's advice to the Corinthian Christians. And you know, if you tend to feel, well, phew, I don't have to give 10%. I'm glad that's just taken off me. You know, it's just as possible, if not more possible, that it means God wants more from you. Jesus summed up the entire law and prophets and all of the Bible in saying that He wants us to love Him, to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and this one where money is, all our might or influence or affluence. He wants it all. Nicodemus comes searching in the night, what must I do to be born again? Sell all you have. A widow comes and gives a fraction of a penny. And Jesus lifts her up because she gave it all. And I know, it's, um, it's tough times right now when it comes to money. But, that means it's an excellent time to take a really close look where money goes. We're forced to, really, so that makes it an excellent time to do it, yes? And to ask the question of our money, how much am I able, truly able, to give? And be careful how you define able. Pocket's empty, guess I'm not able to give. Right? You know, it doesn't work that way. Let me try and illustrate what I mean. I once heard James Dobson of Focus on the Family, uh, Jim Dobson, tell a story about an office clock. And I'll never forget it. It struck me that day. It had to be, guy. I don't know, when was that, Jill? Uh, 12, 13, 15 years ago. And he got up there and he told a story about an office clock that someone gave him as a gift to hang in his office at Focus on the Family. It's this beautiful clock, and so he hung it on the wall. And, and it was a great clock, except it didn't work. And to make a long story short, he unfolds this story of, okay, so he had to take the clock down from the wall and he had to put it in his car and he had to be careful and wrap it because you don't want to scratch it. And he had to take it to the clockmaker, you know, and then had to wait three or four days. And so he goes and gets it back. You know, it's significant, $125, I think he said, to fix this clock. And he gets it back and he puts it on the wall. And three days later, it doesn't work again. So he has to take it down and he has to go and he has to drive. Now he goes to a different place because he's not quite so sure about the guy that fixed it the first time and he gets it fixed again and it's a different thing. And this goes on as Jim Dobson unrolls the story 
of his office clock. And he got to the end of the story, and he, he looked at us all, and he said, you know, it struck me. What in the world am I doing with this office clock? I don't have to have this clock. I mean, the thing had taken over part of his life. And I remember whatever else he said that day or whatever speakers was drowned out because my mind just started racing and I started thinking for myself, and I'll throw the question that I was wrestling with again this week, How many office clocks you got? How many do we have? How much stuff in our life that we don't really have but robs us of our time and, yes, our money and our anxiety and our emotional well-being? And if we got rid of that stuff, what, get rid of them? Yeah, get rid of them. Dare to think the thought, I know. If we got rid of some of that stuff, what would happen to what we were able to give? It would go up, wouldn't it? And now's an excellent time to take a hard look at those questions. Recently, your elders and pastors sent you a letter letting you know that your church needs your help. Our church needs us, my brothers and sisters. Giving is down 16% from last year. At least we're ahead of the market. But it's still down a significant amount from last year, despite an increase in attendance. Times, times are indeed tough everywhere, and we're no exception. And so what's in the balance, ultimately, are people that we try, um, including you, but also others, to give God the opportunity to bless through our money. So ministries, missions, programs, staff, many things our church is able to do because of our money. Those things are on the line. And the church needs us. Our church needs us. Will you please help her as you're able? Did you notice in our passage this morning what were among the foundational reasons even for rich generosity in the early Macedonian churches? Look at verse 2. Look what welled up into rich generosity. Severe trial, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty. Joy I get how that wells up. We talked about that already, but Severe trial and extreme poverty results in rich generosity. Tough times result in rich generosity in the church. You bet it does, or at least it should. That's Paul's point. Given grace, which leads to desire, which leads to sacrificial giving. So we're facing a shortage in what can be done. We can, each of us, take the first step. Get your feet wet. 
Step into the raging Jordan and trust that God will sustain you and give as much as we're truly able after ridding our lives of office clocks. Here's how it worked for me in, um, in my life of giving. I struggled um, for years with being an eager giver, still do. But then one day someone just simply encouraged me, hey, just take the first step. If you're giving nothing, just give something. If you're giving 2%, could you give 3 I thought, could I take just a small first step? I said, yeah, I think I can do that. So I did. And, and here's, what started, I mean, here's what started happening to me. Okay, these are all ones. So no mad rush. So, okay. Well, I need this money. I mean, at the time I was still in school and Jill and I even were first newly married. And I need this money. Textbooks and rent. and Okay, well, all right. I was challenged to at least take a step. So let me take Get it back. No, I can't. <laughs> and you know what started to happen? What started to happen is, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, and I believe He'll do it for you, is I noticed, at least out of the corner of my eye, even as I was so worried about myself and what this was doing with my ability to... I noticed what God did with that money through the church that I'd given it to at the time. I saw how God blessed someone from that money. And for an instant, my focus was off of me and on whoever it was that God helped and reached with that money. And for an instant, I felt it. Oh, yeah! And then I was right back to... And so then I tried to be And that instant became a little bit longer. And I tried to be And it snowballs. God uses it when we take the first step, when we dare to step out. He uses it to nudge us relentlessly off of our focus of self and what it is that we need and want, whether it's an entertainment center or a plasma TV or whatever. And He puts it on others. Just like Jesus. And it feeds itself. That's the path, I think, to cheerful giving. And it starts with... Now, if you're feeling convicted, if you're a Nicodemus and you want to sell everything you own and bring it, we'll take it. No, I... <laughs> Can you take a small step? You know what? If we make budget this year, I'll take a bell and I'll ring it up here after the first, right? Every time a bell rings, yeah? By the way, someone in here must hear the echo of the book of Acts. Sorry, can't resist. It's here in this message too. Luke often pauses in telling his story in Acts by giving little summaries of how the church is doing. His first two major summaries that he wants his readers to know in terms of, hey, how's this church doing now? The first two major summaries. Look at what they say in Acts 2 and 4. Luke tells us all the believers had everything in common selling their office clocks, oh, sorry, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. 
No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. May we, too, be overwhelmed again and again and again and again by the grace of God that nurtures in us an eager desire to give as much as we are truly able despite hard economic times, indeed even because of hard times, as with the Macedonian churches. And I wonder, did you ever wonder how the Corinthian church responded? Did you ever wonder that? I told you before how important God's grace is to giving. Not only did Paul use the word grace a lot, but he began and ended this chapter 8 and 9 lesson on giving with the concept and the words of grace. He begins it by saying, Hey, Paul says at the beginning, let me tell you about God's grace to the Macedonian churches. And he ends with, Hey, what about the grace that God has given you? And I wonder how the Corinthian church responded. And I wonder and I pray, how will we How will we respond to the grace that God has given us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask, Father, that you be with our country as it struggles now through hard economic times. And we ask, Father, that you be with your church, your church globally, and your church here at West Bowles Community Church. Give leaders wisdom and discernment. Help us, Father, to be able in hard times especially to focus on and, and to remember others, whether it's remembering to buy canned food for people who can't eat or whether it's remembering that all of the wonderful things that you do through us here costs something. Ask, Father, that you would give us the humility and the strength to take a hard look at the office clocks in our life and maybe to do without them so that we're able to give more and reach more with your light in the world and the good news of Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you deeply for the opportunity to be part of your family here, to live in love and fellowship with one another, and to have the opportunity together to serve and to love you through serving and loving others, just as your Son did and asks us to do. We love you, and we ask all of this in Jesus, the Messiah's name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. May God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you next week.